is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Hey, it's episode nine of the Business of Reselling podcast. Kind of a cool day. I mean, like literally here in Vancouver, it's raining. It hasn't rained in like a month, I think. Uh, so it feels amazing. And the temperature is perfect and everything's very comfortable. But what I'm learning now since starting this podcast and having not recorded it when it's raining is that the rain makes a lot of sound in this room. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that out of the audio. So uh, I don't know. Let me know if it bothers you or if you can hear it. I'll try to figure out uh, how to reduce that background noise if there is any. But if you hear whooshing, that's cars going by and the tinkle tinkle is the rain on my windows. So here we are. Continuing my series on sourcing strategies for six-figure sales. Oh, I just keep coming up with more and more ideas and things to talk about when it comes to sourcing. I'm still looking for what you want to hear about and what you want to learn. Um, I've been getting some uh, questions and feedback on these episodes, which is awesome. And I'm looking forward to doing more, but I just keep coming up with more and more ideas. I feel like we could talk about sourcing for like months, and I don't know if we should do that or not but um, we'll definitely be doing this for a few more episodes at least. So I'm gonna talk about how uh, some proactive measures for finding inventory have worked for us and how you might try some of the same tactics at different budgets from free to hundreds of dollars or more. Um, So that's what this episode is going to be about. And I'm gonna do some definitions of some business phrases and acronyms here, um, some ideas for you to think about as they might apply to your reselling business. Um, So bear with me on that. And I've got some interesting articles in the show notes if you want to learn more about those things. So what I want to mention here, first of all, is that many people stick to what would be called pull methods for inventory sourcing. So pull. Me- I'm going to define push and pull in a second. So this would be like going to a place like a thrift or a yard sale and just kind of hoping that you find something there. That's how a lot of people source. And what I want to focus on today and probably will again in a future episode are push methods for sourcing. So the terms push and pull are commonly used in marketing, but they really come from supply chain management. And I've already talked about supply chain management quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, go back to episode one, I think, if you want to um, if you want to hear my sort of spiel on supply chains and efficiency. Um, but anyway, put the push and pull concepts come from supply chain management. So a pull strategy in a business is a reaction to demand. So that's like when a company um, waits to produce a product until demand is quantified and guaranteed. So this is something like if you're familiar with Kickstarter, like a crowdfunding platform, when people want to launch new products, they launch a Kickstarter campaign um, where they get people to buy a product before it's ever made. And then those buyers receive it later after production begins. So it's a way of sort of funding a project up front, getting a bunch of money and then um, and then making the product with that money and then sending it out to the people who uh, were part of the campaign. So that's a pull strategy. Uh, so we're looking for demand. We're trying to find the demand out there. And then we're like, OK, I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll make this product. Uh, in a push system, companies manufacture products and then go look for buyers, which is probably more common. So I make a product, I've got my great tomato sauce or whatever that I make, and I want to sell it at the farmer's market. So I make a bunch of tomato sauce, I put the products on my table at the farmer's market, and I wait for the buyer. 
So that's a push system, manufacturing the products and then going and looking for the buyers. So in marketing, it's um, it sort of translates to marketing in this way. So pull marketing is more passive. Companies present their brands and their products in the hope to pull buyers in. So here's what I've got. Here's why it's cool. Here's what you should buy it. Hope you buy it. And push marketing is more about um, these sort of proactive measures to try and convince people to take action now. So this could be like running a sale or giving out free samples of a product at a grocery store. It's about putting your specific product in front of consumers directly and enticing them to buy in that way. So if you think of like pushy, aggressive marketing strategies, that's I guess kind of how you could think about that term. Like if I'm putting my product in front of your face and saying, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. That's a push marketing strategy, whereas a pull is like, oh, here's my thing. It's cool. I hope you like it. And both can be effective in different ways um, and depending on the product. But so if you want to read more about push versus pull marketing, I've put an article from HubSpot in the show notes for you to reference. HubSpot does a great job of defining a lot of these this business terminology in a really accessible way. So I like to use their uh, articles as resources. And there's actually a couple of HubSpot articles in the show notes today. But let's talk about how the terms push and pull can relate to sourcing. So think about a thrift or a yard sale. The products are just out there and you might buy them or somebody else might buy them. But everybody knows that they're available for sale and there's no particular reason why somebody would sell you their stuff versus somebody else the same stuff. Right. That's that's a pull strategy. You're just there. You're just another buyer. The stuff is out, it's available for sale. The seller doesn't really have incentive to work with you versus another buyer. It's just there. You could get it. You could be the first to get it. You might miss out. That's it. So it's more uh, passive. In a push strategy for sourcing, you're putting yourself directly in front of people who you think have things that you want to buy and saying, hey, I'm here. You have this exact thing that I want and we're a good match. Here are the reasons why. The thing about this type of sourcing strategy is that the people you're buying from, so those sellers, might not yet even realize that they want to sell at all, let alone sell to you. So we're going to talk about how to deal with that in a few minutes. Um, but this type of sourcing strategy is more direct and it can also be very targeted. So if you're looking for a specific kind of product, you can narrow down the type of people who you think are going to have it and then target some sort of campaign to them directly to try and um, make them aware of your existence. So if you're looking to buy better inventory, buy better, what do we mean? That's inventory that's in higher demand, that's going to sell relatively quickly. Inventory that you can sell for higher prices so you can raise that average selling price. And inventory that you can get in bulk so that you can sell many similar items all at once. So that's what I mean when I say better inventory. Um, I'm going to share with you a few push strategies that we have used both successfully and not successfully. I think it's just as important to share what has not worked for us as much as what has um, and some of the reasons why. And so just to get you thinking about, you know, what are some ways that I can um, start to find people who have things to sell? Because there are there's stuff everywhere that's in storage that people aren't using, collections people have forgotten about. It's out there. So how do we find those people? So a few push strategies that we've used, I'm going to just list them and then I'm going to talk about them in a little bit more detail. The first one is Facebook ads. The second is just using Craigslist or online classifieds, so whatever you have in your community. Uh, the third is networking. 
And the fourth are door hangers. So that's a type of direct marketing strategy that we have used. There are many more, but these are sort of the ones that we have spent the most time on. So they're the ones that I'm gonna focus on today. So let me talk about Facebook advertising first. This is a huge topic, probably one that I could create several podcast episodes on it if I wanted. Um, if you want it, let me know. But let's talk about Facebook advertising for a second. Now, first of all, I'm going to say that Facebook advertising is going to be for the more established seller. This is going to be a seller who has a budget for marketing. You have money to spend to try and find inventory and also to try and find uh, customers. So this is not a free strategy, although you can use um, organic methods to promote Facebook posts if you run like a business Facebook page or something. But what I'm primarily talking about here is paid ads. So one of the things we do is we run targeted Facebook ads, trying to discover Facebook users who have particular categories of items that we want. I have a lot more experimenting to do with Facebook ads. I have one ad that has worked very well for us. I have one ad that has not worked very well for us. The ad that has worked very well for us is one that is specifically for comic books. So I was thinking, what's the typical demographic of a comic book reader? And you actually have to kind of generalize here to, um, to sort of target your marketing campaign. So it's not that women don't read comics, it's just that the demographic tends to skew male when it comes to comic book reading. Think about the age range of people who may have comic book collections, people who were kids in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, we're still talking about a broad age range, but people who acquired collections and may not be so into them anymore. Um, as well, if you collected comic books in that era, you're probably more likely to be male because comic book marketing was targeted more towards boys than girls at the time. So that's one another reason why we tend to see more um, male collectors, or I should say maybe former collectors. So I target this and I also target it locally. So I use Facebook advertising tools to only reach buyers that we're willing, or se sorry, sellers of comic books that we're actually willing to drive to. So there's no point in putting my Facebook ad in front of people in Edmonton because I'm not, unless it was incredible, probably not willing to drive all the way to Edmonton or even to Seattle to pick up a comic book collection. But within the lower mainland, we are. So without getting into the technical specifics of how to create a Facebook ad, I can if you want, but I don't think that's really the purpose of today's episode. I use this targeting to say, okay, I want to I want to target men. I think I have it uh, over the age of 40 in the lower mainland with specific interests, including comic collecting, Marvel Universe, DC Universe, Amazing Spider-Man. So I use Facebook interest targeting to sort of narrow my audience down. And Facebook sort of guides you through this when you create the ad. It tells you, oh, your audience is too broad or it's too narrow, you know, so it helps you a little bit. So anyway, I have this ad. And it's just a pile of comic book boxes that just a snapshot I took with my phone in my uh, in our room where we store all the comics and it just says like overlaid with like we buy comics <laughs> it's really that simple it's actually kind of an ugly image like it's not well designed the colors aren't pretty like i'm not a, i just i'm bad at that stuff but it works and we get a lot of inquiries um from people who are like oh man yeah actually you know what i do have a closet full of comic books and turns out i don't want them anymore 
Um, and so these are people who've been sitting on collections for decades and never even occurred to them like, oh, I could sell this or I could get some money for it. And they are contacting us and going, hey, this sounds like it might work. Of course, we attract a lot of people who are tire kickers. They want to sell their collection, but they want full retail price. Um, you know, there's they want to sell their collection, but they've got to look every single comic book up first to make sure that they're not getting ripped off. I, I understand all of that. But we also get a lot of people who are like, man, yeah, I've just got this closet full and I want it empty. You seem like the perfect person for me. And we've managed to buy thousands of comic books in this way. So these targeted ads work very well. The ads that have not worked as well for us are the ones that are less targeted. So I was trying one that was like, I had a picture of like an old car and a bunch of like antique looking things in the background. And it said like, wanted your old stuff with a caption that talked about like, we buy comics, we buy old toys, we buy video games, we buy, you know, advertising signs, we buy tobacchiana, we buy paper ephemera. And it was like this whole list of stuff. And that ad didn't get me a lot of response. So it was like, when I did get replies from people, it was like, hey, I've got like this huge collection of like, you know, Royal Dalton figurines or like Avon <laughs> or uh, glass bottles, you know, and I'm like, oh, no. So if I kind of put an ad out that says, hey, we buy collections and I'm not specific about what that means, we get a lot of inquiries from people who have stuff that we don't have any interest in or is not in high demand. So that ad did not work very well. Without getting into all the details of how to create a Facebook ad, I will say that the more specific and targeted you can be about what you are looking for, the better your ad is likely to perform. If you want to try this, think about how to choose your budget for advertising. And this is a big challenge, but I would recommend if you're interested in this, just pick a number that you're comfortable losing. So if your ad is ineffective and it doesn't get you any leads, that you're okay with sort of taking that, that gamble that you don't mind. We spend about $400 a month on Facebook advertising. I think we would probably do better if we spent more. It's where I'm comfortable spending the money. Another way to think about your budget is what results you want to get out of it. So if you get one collection a month that, you know, you could profit an average of, I don't know, what is it? $5,000, $10,000 on? then how much are you willing to spend to get that lead? How much are you willing to spend to essentially have the opportunity to buy that inventory? So I honestly think we should probably increase our marketing budget. That's a discussion I can have with my husband later. I don't think we quite spend enough um, because what we spend does get us leads. So in theory, if we spend more, we should get more leads. But that can create additional problems in the business, which of course is the problem you have when you have too much inventory and not enough staff to process it. And that's a problem we run into all the time, which is definitely a topic for a future episode. So if you want to start with advertising, choose a number you're comfortable losing, but also choose a number that's big enough to actually generate some traffic to your ad. Like if you're only spending a couple of dollars a day, you're probably not going to get enough um, exposure with your ad to actually capture enough of an audience to get real leads. So think about that too, um, you know, so if you're comfortable in like the $5 a day and up range to start with for your advertising, that's probably where I'd recommend that you go. Um, 
Another one we use is Craigslist and online classifieds. If you're not comfortable spending money on finding new inventory, this one is free. So most classified sites are free. It's a good push strategy, but it's still fairly passive. I'm putting an ad out there that says, hey, I buy this, this, and this, and then hoping somebody responds to it. But at least we're putting something out there, you know, and trying to get it in front of people. We have several ads running and they're all very specific. So we have an ad running for buying vintage electronics. We have an ad for vintage diecast cars. We have an ad for ephemera. We have an ad for comic books and a few other things. And they're different. They're all different wording, different images um, that says like, hey, you know, we want this specific thing. Um, those again have worked a lot better for us than the general ones that say, hey, we just buy collections or we clean out estates or we do this or that. Because then, if, then again, you get those inquiries from people who have all kinds of things that you don't really want to buy. Um, so try online classifieds if you want to try them. Do ads that are for specific categories of items that you know really well that you would be good at selling. Um, and rejig your ad from time to time, change the wording, um, change the language in it until you hit on something that that really is effective for you. The third is networking, which can be free. So this is if I'm going to the thrift or I'm going to a garage sale or I'm out and about talking to people, or even just amongst friends or at your hockey game or like whatever, just asking people what they might be selling. If you're at a yard sale, what else might you be selling? Do you have things that you weren't able to bring out today? I'm looking for this, this, and this type of item. Do you happen to have anything like that? Do you happen to know anybody selling this or that? Um, the more we talk about our business, the more likely we are to meet somebody who's like, hey, I actually have something that you need, or I really like what you do. Um, let me connect you with my sister or, or whoever. Um, There's another thing that could be the topic of a future episode, which is a stigma around reselling. I'm sure if you've been reselling for a long time, you um, you have felt that. There, there are people out there who think resellers are scum, um, that we're rip-off artists, that we're just dealing in junk, um, and they don't like it. So that's fine. But that stigma has led to a lot of us not really talking about our business or being as vocal about it as we could be or should be in order to get the inventory that we need to scale up. So don't be shy. Um, consider networking. doesn't really cost you anything, and the worst thing you're going to get is a rejection. Like, no, I don't have anything. Sorry. The fourth strategy that we've used a lot is these door hangers. So this is the only um, paper-based direct marketing strategy that we've tried. So obviously this one's going to cost money too. You know, we've spent a few hundred dollars buying these four by nine inch um, rack cards with a little hook on them from uh, Vistaprint. Oh, I should link Vistaprint in the show notes actually, um, so in case you're interested in trying them out. Um, and so we have these little things and we just hang them on people's doors. So we send somebody around the neighborhood to just literally walk and, and hand these flyers out at people's doors, put them in the mailboxes, hang them on the door handle or whatever. Um, we've hit hundreds of houses throughout Vancouver and we have gotten quite a few leads through that. Again, they're not always quality leads, but our door hanger just says on it like, hey, here's a list of some things that we buy. And for this one, we try to be a little bit more generalized because we don't know what's inside the house. So we try to give like a longer list of the things that we buy. And it also has a QR code on it that takes people to our website, which has an almost complete list of the categories of items that we'll purchase. So it's direct, so it's definitely a push strategy. Um, it's somewhat targeted. We try to target um, single family homes in the wealthier areas of town, um, as well as older homes. 
where people might have been living for a couple of generations. Of course, you don't know what's in the house, and that's why we make our flyer a little bit um, more generalized in terms of what we're buying. But we've gotten a number of leads from this and been connected with people, and those people pass the flyer on to their neighbors or they give it to somebody who's outside of the neighborhood. So it can actually spread geographically without you really trying. So it's kind of a nice strategy to use, and it hasn't cost us that much. We spent the money on the wrap cards themselves, which is a few hundred dollars. And then we um, pay somebody to walk around the neighborhood and give them out. So it's like, you know, it's a $20 an hour type of investment that has definitely resulted in thousands of dollars of inventory for us. Now I will admit, sourcing has been very frustrating for us since we stopped doing storage lockers. We used to get so much inventory from storage lockers, we never had to look anywhere else. And while there's drawbacks to buying storage units, you've got garbage to deal with, um, you have a lot of waste, they can get messy, um, they can get stinky, and you run the risk of losing money, of course. Um, we very rarely lost doing storage units and there was so much inventory available that we never had to go out and find it. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case anymore in Vancouver with all the auctions having gone online and the prices are completely out of line. <laughs> um, so there's no guarantee to make money in it anymore. So that made sourcing a little bit harder for us. And then the pandemic only made it worse. I, I sort of have said to people jokingly, COVID killed the yard sale because even though, you know, restrictions are lifted and people are comfortable doing most normal things again, it was just the yard sale scene just hasn't really come back around. So there aren't nearly as many sales and uh, not the inventory is not nearly as good. So I'm gonna say like, even though we've had success with some of these push marketing tactics, I don't feel like we've mastered any of them. You know, they've worked sometimes, they've worked not other times. They're also, um, other than Facebook ads where you can track engagement and reach, and that's really nice. The other types of things, you can't really track how well it's working. You know, I can count how many flyers were sent out to how many houses and then, you know, count how many people called us from those ads. But, you know, it's not the most accurate way to measure success because it doesn't necessarily mean that we um, converted those leads just because they called us. So uh, anyway, it's not perfect. I think we could do a better job. Um, and I'm always interested in feedback on how we could do better, um, as well as helping you guys hopefully get some ideas on how to source. If you think there's something that we could have done better with any of these tactics, you know, that's a discussion I obviously would love to have. Um, there are, of course, drawbacks to these more pushy strategies for, I don't want to say pushy, push strategies, but people can perceive them as pushy, and that is one of the drawbacks. So people accusing you of being aggressive, like getting in their face, like, oh, you're trying to get me to get rid of the stuff that I care about, um, or accusing you of trying to rip people off. And that's happened to us a couple of times where we've gone and looked at a deal, and the price that the seller has wanted has been, you know, ridiculously high, and we've just been like, okay, I don't. I don't think we can make a deal here. And then they just get mad. Oh, all you cheap, lazy resellers, all you want is everything for pennies on the dollar. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I do understand where people get that idea from because there are people like that out there who are trying to rip people off and sort of take people's valuable items right out from under them. Um, we're not like that. And we're not always successfully able to convince people that we're um, ethical business owners. Um, so sometimes you can end up with a negative experience and I could tell like specific stories about when that's happened. Um, and so that can kind of give you like 
make you a little bit nervous about trying it again and again. But uh, you just got to keep pushing and you do meet really nice, great people who appreciate your services because that's what we're providing here. And I think it's important to mention that is that we're providing a service uh, to the people who want to get rid of their stuff because they haven't been able to do that themselves. And so we are doing it for them. Uh, as well, it's not a consistent marketing strategy. You don't know how often it's going to work. You don't know when it's going to work. So it's not always productive. Sometimes you're spending a lot of time trying to generate these leads and it results in nothing. So it's likely not the only fix to the problem of needing consistent supply of better inventory, but it can help. And so if you haven't tried any of these things and you're frustrated that you're not finding good enough inventory, maybe some of these tactics can, can work for you. They're at least worth a shot. Um, we have gained a little bit of momentum with some of this. And I think over time, as you get more of a reputation, more people know you, happy customers give you referrals. You know, I, I expect that this will probably start to work well for us. It's definitely not a like fix it today type of strategy for sourcing. So once you get that head or that lead and you find somebody who does have something to sell, what do you do then? So if you haven't heard of this acronym in marketing, it's called AIDA, A-I-D-A. It's a marketing acronym that stands for awareness, interest, desire, and action. So this is a typical marketing sort of funnel that sort of attempts to explain the process or the journey that a buyer goes through before they buy from you. So they don't know your product exists, so they become aware of it. They think you're cool. They become interested in it. Um, you create desire by making them want the thing that you have, and then they take action by purchasing it. So even though in the scenario that I'm talking about today with sourcing, we are the buyers, right? We're not the sellers. There's still a business transaction that you are persuading someone else to make. And so this AIDA funnel can actually be really effective. So awareness is all the things that I've already talked about. We are using these push marketing strategies um, direct strategies to try and get sellers aware that we want to purchase from them. Then we create interest by saying like, here's a problem I can solve for you. I can help you get your space back. I can help you get your garage back. Um, I can help you downsize so that you can sell your home. And you pique their interest by showing them how them selling their stuff to you is actually going to help them and improve their lives. So that's the interest, the I. Then you start to create that desire. You're making them think about the outcome, the positive outcome of working with you and what they're going to get out of it. Money is one thing. Space is another thing. There could be other benefits. And through that, then they eventually take action because they want to create the outcome that you have um, helped them envision. So that's basically how AIDA works. And I did link another HubSpot article in the show notes if you want to learn more about that particular strategy and how it works in marketing, because it's one that you can definitely apply to your buyers as well if you want to sell things faster, which is something I think we're also always trying to do. So remember, you are trying to help and make their lives better, creating space, helping to downsize, whatever it is. They are willing to part with the things they have for a reason. So elevate that reason and you're much more likely to make the deal. And if you want to learn about negotiation, I talked about that in the last episode. So that's episode eight, just the tip. It's a short one. Um, so go back and uh, listen to that if you want to hear my thoughts on negotiation. So 
to sort of conclude here, the best tip I can give with any of these strategies is to, to just be specific with the seller about what you want to buy from them and to have a response, a course of action to recommend when people express interest. Give them a clear path to follow. So if they say, yeah, I am interested in selling this to you, you say, okay, here's step one, two, three to making it happen. Um, this is something that we've sort of worked to refine over the years, but I don't think it's necessarily something that we're super competent at. And, I, and the reason is because every situation with the seller is different. So we sort of feel like we have to customize our approach to them every time. Um, maybe it's not even like that and I'm just overthinking it. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and tell me if you think I'm overthinking it. Because I know for sure that with any type of... Um, of process like this or any type of business transaction that if you have a clear path of action for the other person in the transaction to follow you're much more likely to close the deal so i think that's something that we could get better at as a company for sure okay so that's that concludes my sort of discussion about uh, push strategies as it relates to sourcing. Have you tried any of these tactics before and how have they worked for you? I would really love to know. But your specific call to action today is to try out one of these tactics that you haven't used before or try a new way of applying one of these tactics that you have already tried in the past. So what's one way that you can use a push strategy to source better inventory for your store? Speaking of push strategies, we're always buying. So if you know somebody in Vancouver or the lower mainland or southwestern BC who has a whole bunch of stuff that they're looking to part with, we would really appreciate the connection because we're always looking for new fun inventory for our store. So just hit me up if you happen to know any of those leads and I will definitely reward you for your efforts. So if you have more sourcing questions, hit me up on YouTube or by email, hello at storagewarrior.ca, um, articles in the show notes and lots of links and cool things for you to check out there. I am taking a break from the podcast next week for a short vacation. So you'll see me back in the mid middle of September for episode 10, another episode on sourcing, but I'm not exactly sure what the topic will be yet. If you, if there's anything specific you would like me to talk about, let me know. All right. We'll see you next week.